Welcome to the Flourishing Together podcast, where we consider journeys of hope and stewardship in education. Each episode, I'm joined by colleagues in the world of education to explore a different topic, where I'll be asking for their wisdom and their top tips. Thank you for journeying with us, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So hello and a very warm welcome to the Flourishing Together podcast, where we consider journeys of hope and stewardship in education. My name's Ryan Parker, the RE and Christian Ethos Advisor at the Diocese of St Albans, and I'm absolutely thrilled today to welcome Ruth Valerio. Ruth, hi. Hello, it's so good to be with you today. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, an absolute pleasure. I'm so delighted that you're able to join. Um, I wonder, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I live down in the south of England with my family. I have two uh, nearly pretty much grown up daughters now, university age, and I'm one of the directors at Tear Fund, which is a Christian relief and development and advocacy organisation. So I oversee the work that we do around advocacy and also around theology and quite a bit of the comms side of things too. Um, I'm part of Revelation Family Church, which is part of the 24-7 prayer network. Um, That's probably about enough for me, I think. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. I know you come bringing a wealth of reflections and experience in this area of, of climate change. And this episode, that's exactly what we're thinking about. We're thinking about climate change. And to give a little bit of context, I've been really fortunate over the past year as part of my role to work as part of a wonderful team. And we've been thinking deeply about how best to respond to the climate emergency within education. And as we've read, reflected, discussed and started to write materials for a suite of upcoming resources in the diocese, we've been on a bit of a journey, not only collectively, but individually. And we're increasingly recognising that climate change is a moral and a spiritual issue. And we've been drawing very richly on lots of your works, so saying yes to life and just living and and the fabulous book, Planet Protectors, um, you know, with lots of really useful ideas for schools to pick up, to explore and to run with with their pupils. And I know of so many schools that are taking some truly inspirational actions in showing a heart for the earth. And in this journey, for me personally, it's been quite striking when I've been thinking about you know what are some of the many reasons that have led to this current situation with climate change you know this is being recorded I'm mindful of the the past week where temperatures in Britain reached you know record highs you know what are the factors that have led to today and and one of these factors I feel has been different interpretations of the bible and you know throughout my theology degree and my reading I kept encountering two in particular one titled Dominion and one titled Stewardship. And both in their own ways kind of put forward the view that humans are like the top of the hierarchy. We can use the resources of the earth however and whenever we like. And I am struck that emerging particularly strongly at the moment are challenges to these biblical views. And I know you've done lots of rich thinking here and I wonder, from your perspective, what do you think is a better 
perhaps more accurate biblical understanding for us to take forward in thinking about our relationship to the environment? Yeah, thank you. It's such a good question. Um, the, if I think about the, the stewardship side, uh, you know, I don't want to be completely negative about that. It's, it's really encouraging that so many Christians now see taking care of the wider natural world as an important part of their faith. And the concept of stewardship has played a positive role in helping people to grasp that, that we have some sense of responsibility and we need to be looking after the whole creation, not only the human part of that creation. So I am respectful of that language and I know that there are many people, it's kind of the word that's most well used, but I do think it has some problems to it. At a basic level, it's not biblical. It's not a term that is found in the Bible in relation to taking care of the world. Um, so I don't know why we use it in that way. We, I think we've modelled up some of Jesus' parables. And anyway, I won't go into the details. Um, one of my biggest issues is that we steward things that are inanimate, not living. So we steward wine or money or time. We don't steward living things. I don't steward my children or my friends. I look after them. I nurture them and so on. Um, and there are and other issues as well, not least the hierarchy one that you mentioned. And, and I don't think we need to find one concept that we use, one word that we use. Our relationship with the wider natural world is complex and beautiful and wide and so we can talk about all sorts of things we can talk about caring for the world looking after it respecting protecting joining other creatures the natural world god's world you know language is inadequate and we don't have words to describe the incredible wonder and privilege of being a part of it what we do know is that god created this world and loves it and that we have been placed in this world as as earth creatures as adam adam is a play on words adama is hebrew for earth for ground and we are earth creatures placed here to take care of the rest of what god has made and the the dominion idea isn't about oppression when you look in the rest of the scriptures about how God expects his rulers to behave, ruling over is actually all about being a servant. It's about compassion and love and taking care of those that are, are weaker than you and so on. So we are here to serve the rest of what God has made. And it's an incredible privilege that we're called to cherish it together in that way. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much, Ruth. Um, and what I love is the kind of focus you place there and, and do it in, in many of your writing, much of your writing, um, about relationships. And what I find particularly interesting about that is in many schools, they're starting to think much more intentionally about what do we mean about spirituality mm. and what do we mean about spiritual development? And one of the the key and common frameworks, which is used more and more, is that of Rebecca Nye. And that's all about seeing spirituality as relationships. One's relationship to themselves, to others, for some to God, and of course, as well, to the world. And I think that offers some really interesting questions around, well, how do we view the world and our relationship to it? And 
how does that view impact how we relate to others and ourselves and for some to God? And one of the the kind of analogies that I've been playing with around at the moment is this idea of um, analogies. And it's not a perfect analogy by any means, but thinking about this sense of there's a clear connection between what we about how we live rather. So how we live is very much informed by our thinking and our emotional connection to to the world and to the planet, kind of a a heads, hearts and hands kind of framework Mm. going on. And the analogy I've been wrestling around with is that of earth tourists versus earth pilgrims. So very much not a perfect analogy, but we could see ourselves as above the the created world um, above you know living and and non-living things and see ourselves as an earth tourist where we can kind of um, use different things for our own pleasure and our own gain Um, or we see ourselves more as an earth pilgrim where actually we need to tread lightly and really care and treasure Mm. and you know as you said show that respect for the world around and so I wonder there'll be many schools who are they may be at the starting gates of their journey and thinking about climate change and, and showing a heart for the earth in their own context, or maybe a bit further down the line. But I wonder, do you have any advice or guidance for those schools that would like to think more intentionally about the climate and the world in their own contexts? Yeah, I think there are lots of different things that schools can, can do to get involved and to help their pupils and not only their pupils but their teachers to be involved as well and we we might look later at some broader principles but maybe some more specific ideas Uh, I think a really basic one about getting outdoors and connecting with the natural world coming back to that to that relationship framework which incidentally it's really interesting to hear about Rebecca and I because I've been using I've been talking in terms of relationship for 20 plus years now and I see that embedded right in the scriptures in terms of how we were created and um, and what the gospel or the good news of Jesus means and I think it's a really helpful framework And we know that our relationship with ourselves is better when we have a good and a healthy relationship with the wider natural world. And we know that when we get outside and when our pupils get outside, when we get active, when we do things, it increases our own sense of well-being. So getting getting outside in different ways. I, I know schools will have all sorts of different things, bug hotels, little wild areas, mini forests, um, ponds in some way, if you're able to with health and safety, allows um, growing vegetables, you know, all of these things, going outside and seeing how many birds you can hear, if you can see any butterflies. Did you know that there are microbes in the soil that when your skin comes into contact with them, they release the, the, the happy hormones inside of ourselves. And new science, recent scientific uh, research has been showing that. It's a wonderful way of how science is catching up with what we've known for years. So That's lots amazing. that we can be doing outside in our schools. Obviously, there are big things that we can do, projects around renewable energy. And uh, I know that church schools will be involved with that through the Church of England's route map 
to net zero and the commitments there. So I'm sure it's something that your schools and your leaders are already talking with you about. If they're not yet, they will be soon. And looking at how you can access funding for some of those bigger projects but then also getting engaged with the smaller things inside as well. Uh, simple things like, do you turn your computers off when they're not being used? Having light monitors who make sure that lights are switched off when you're not, when you're not in the room or at the end of the day. Uh, there are lots of different things. Um, food is a big one. I would really encourage those who bring um, lunch boxes have a, a, an education awareness raising thing and have some days where people try not to bring any plastic in their lunch boxes and see what the challenges are and what some of the creative ideas are that people come up with and so on. You, you mentioned Planet Protectors, which has been written for primary school age children. The Planet Protectors, 52 Ways to Look After God's World. And that actually is full of ideas that links in with schools as well. And part of why it was written was to help primary school aged kids get their schools involved as well. So that has lots of practical things in it too. Oh, super Ruth, thank you. There's just so much to unpack there. And and you're right, finding and making the most of those opportunities to be outside. You gave lots of examples there. I know many schools have taken lots of learning outside in terms of um, you know forest classrooms and forest mm -hmm. schools. And an increasing amount of schools, interestingly, are, and I think brilliantly, taking collective worship outside. So it's not always yeah, necessarily yeah. in the hall or classroom, but they give those opportunities for awe and wonder and to experience and explore the wows and hours of life together um, outside as well. Yeah. And Ryan, before we move on to something else, can I just mention uh, another way by which we can get our schools involved? And, and I think this is increasingly becoming important. So alongside that, those practical things, I think schools also have a real role to play in helping our pupils who are struggling with a sense of hopelessness mm. as they look to the future. And you'll know words like climate anxiety or climate grief and so on are now increasingly part of, of our vocabulary. And I meet it a lot now as I travel around the UK and elsewhere speaking. Uh, it's really becoming a feature. And one of the best things that we can do is open up spaces where people can talk and express how they're feeling. We will have pupils in our schools who are worried about the future as they look at the heat and the wildfires and, and so on. They will be worried. Um, and all of us can play a part in our schools by providing spaces for people to be able to acknowledge that. And it's from out of that place, I think, then that the action comes. So, so we've got a we've got a pastoral caring role as well. I'm so pleased you said that, Ruth. I really am. And and you're absolutely right. Many come to the table bringing a lot of anxiety and worries, and it's so important that we recognise that and we explore that. And you know, we can use that as a resource to look for. Well, you know, what is the more hopeful future that we're all looking mm. towards. And, um, you know, I, I come to this podcast conversation 
being mindful that, you know, I too have had moments of being, you know, really worried, you know, the, mm. the heat in the last week, a case in point of that. And I came across a quote not long ago, um, which has really supported me personally. That's all about, well, yes, it's, it is a time where, you know, there is that anxiety, but also we live at such an amazing and pivotal time mm. for you know the future we can really make a difference through our actions through our thinking through our advocacy and that's something to to really hold on to so we don't fall into what oftentimes might feel like a place of hopelessness but actually to go forward with hope yeah and again i think that's a role that we can play in our schools to show what action we can do and how we can make a difference I was struck by uh, someone to talk recently, a mum who said to me that her teenage son said to her the other day, there's no point him doing anything because, because of climate change, we're all going to be dead by the time he's 40. And now I understand that sort of thinking, but that leads to complete inertia and lack of action. And actually, it's not true. If you take all of the promises that have been made, that were made at the, the UN climate change talks last year, together, they do add up to keeping us below 1.5. The issue, of course, is that they're promises and our governments aren't very good at, <laughs> at uh, delivering on their promises. And that's where we come in. It is all still to play for. We can make a difference. You know, every fraction of a degree matters. And so helping our pupils, yes, to acknowledge the grief. This isn't about not feeling worried. If you don't feel worried, there's probably something wrong with you. So actually, we should be worried. But that can lead to action rather than to inertia. Mm. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. Now, I know many schools will be, you know, listening and wanting to kind of take lots of this thinking forward because you know this this podcast is all about flourishing together and that sense of you know not being above the planet like kind of humans are premier league and we're we're number one mm. and everything else has a kind of secondary significance um but you know flourishing together those relationships those healthy relationships with planets in which we are a part of everything that's going on that kind of um ecosystem where we're all connected and all of our actions impact on on and everything else and you mentioned a bit earlier about some maybe some bigger principles so I wonder just as a closing question for for those schools who are wishing to promote and demonstrate a heart for the earth in their own context um, what kind of wisdom or, or guidance or signposts or principles kind of come to mind for you? Yeah, okay. I think I'm going to give you five uh, top tips, if you like. Firstly, take a whole school perspective. So this isn't just about a few committed people. This needs to engage everybody. Yes, the pupils, the teachers, the, the governors, the, the clergy who are involved, the local authority, you know, everybody who's involved in the school needs to be part of this. So take a whole school perspective in terms of getting that involvement. Secondly, combine a committed, passionate few with a supportive leadership. So having made that first point, the reality is there will be some particular people, some particular teachers and governors and pupils who are really committed. They will be able to make a big difference if they have a supportive leadership. So as you get that whole school perspective, 
bring the supportive leadership to those who are particularly passionate. Thirdly, go for the quick wins. Uh, unless you have the funding already, don't start off with a trying to raise money for a, a, a solar panelled heat pumped school. Go for some quick things first, some easy, simple things that are very visible that people, the parents, the pupils can look at and say, oh, yeah, we've done this. That's amazing. And then that builds up the confidence and the encouragement then to try for some of the the slower big things. Fourthly, hold together the macro and the micro. What I mean by that is that the micro is the kind of things we talked about earlier, the allotments and whatever, light bulbs and so on. And then the macro is the, the political change. We, we need political systemic change. We will only see what we need to see when governments and businesses change. So, so get political as you do the small things. Also invite in your MP and get your pupils talking to the MP. Um, invite in your local authority and the, the, the chair of the, the head of the council and so on. You know, do get the big people in if you like to so you've got the macro, the political stuff alongside the micro, the everyday things. And then finally, it's not always about doing new things, though a lot of it is. It's sometimes about doing the things that you're doing already, but just doing them a bit more carefully and with an eye to the wider natural world and the impact that it has. So it doesn't always need to be all about new projects, which can feel overwhelming for a capacity stretched school. Sometimes it's about looking at what you're doing already and thinking, how can we do that in a better, more careful way? So some top tips for us that I hope are helpful. Oh, incredibly helpful. I think they're they're incredibly wise. And, and thank you so much for, for sharing those kind of practical um, steps with us. And can I just say a massive thank you, Ruth, for taking the time and sharing your thoughts and your reflections with us. I know that I've taken a lot from it and I hope that listeners to this podcast will too. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. And bless you, all of you who are listening. Thank you for joining this episode of the Flourishing Together podcast. To receive updates on future conversations and access previous ones, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you for journeying with us, and I hope that you can join us next time.